Welcome to another episode of the Zenpreneur Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want more money and less stress. The Zenpreneur Podcast is hosted by serial entrepreneur and high-performance coach Mario Lanzarotti. Listen as Mario and his inspiring guests share the insights, strategies, and habits that allow you to grow your business with peace of mind so you can enjoy more wealth and freedom. Learn how to build the mindset and habits you need to find the balance between a successful business and a thriving personal life. And now, here is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Hello and welcome, my friends. This is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Welcome to the Zenpreneur Podcast. Today, I have a very exciting guest. His name is Dakota Robertson. He went from growing up in a motorhome, broke college dropout, to growing one of the largest social media ghost writing businesses. So make sure you have something to write and take notes because this conversation will be packed with value. Today, he helps creators make a full-time income by teaching them the proven storytelling, marketing, and content frameworks that he's used himself to build a personal brand that comes in at over $250,000 per month. Dakota, I'm excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Howdy. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It uh, feels like a long time coming. Absolutely, my friend. Now, I like to ask guests different kind of questions to start off, you know, in terms of what do you do. But with you, I think it's quite obvious. With you, I want to start a little bit differently. And I want to get to know your story a bit better. Because from motorhome to making over 250K per month and becoming one of the best brands in the world for ghostwriting, it's quite a journey. So, Tell us a little bit about that. What happened? How did you get here? Yeah, so I guess rewinding back 25 years, my mom, she had me. And I had an older brother. He's three years older, but he was born with cystic fibrosis, which is a very severe lung condition. So she wasn't able to handle him. And my grandparents took him. So when she had me, she wasn't going to let the same thing happen. So she held on to me. Um, and she gave my father a choice. Uh, so continue smoking crack because he was you know, dabbling in that. Uh, wow. Or you could help raise your son. And, you know, he's really in the weeds with the addiction. And he grew up without a father. So he was really scared. So he dipped out. And yeah, so it was just me and my mom for a while. And I was a complete mama's boy because. You know, I didn't have a dad around, so naturally I just was attached to my mom. And because of that, I took on a lot of feminine traits, I would say. So I was, you know, very shy, wasn't very extroverted and you know, very timid. And yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great like later on. It really affected me later on, which I'll go into. But uh my mom eventually uh, found her boyfriend, I think around when I was four. And he was a drug dealer, um, but uh, we had a, a family of three, so a little dysfunctional family of three, and you know we didn't have much. Uh, she, my mom was working all the time as a waitress. She worked two jobs, and uh, yeah, we kind of struggled to get by, but we got by. It wasn't anything too, too bad, and uh, yeah, eventually we were living in a motorhome for a bit, and <laughs> And we were traveling around different places and we lived in a motel for a bit and all over. But eventually we we were able to, to rent a house and and kind of live a lot better. But uh, 
yeah, growing up, I was I was super shy, and that that affected me in different ways. Like I got made fun of. I didn't really stand up for myself. Eventually, started eating a lot and got chubby. And I remember one guy. I was at recess, and I mean, he just came up to me and called me a chubby chunk. <laughs> And um, I, I never forgot that. I was so humiliated. <laughs> just being called a chubby chunker. I was just, I was just so, uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like myself growing up. And, you know, I only had a few friends. And I know, just, it just wasn't good. And there came a point, I think it was like grade six or something, when I was in math class and the teacher was teaching. And there's a pause, and one of the kids in the back was talking, like whispering something to somebody. But when the teacher paused, you could hear what he was whispering. And he said, Dakota, that fat kid. Everybody heard it. The teacher, everyone in the class heard it. And it was so humiliating just hearing that, you know, just hearing what people thought of me, even when they think, even when I think they're not listening. And it was kind of, that was kind of like the breaking point for me. Uh, that's where I was like, I just didn't like myself. I was really shy, very timid, and I knew I had to make a change. It was kind of like maximum pain point. So I forget how it came about, but my my mom's boyfriend and I, we started going to YMCA boot camp classes uh, before school. So we'd wake up at 5 a.m. And this is when I was like grade six. And just like six foot four jack dude named Jeff, he would yell at us while we were working the TRX bands. <laughs> I was sweating my ass off, but I absolutely loved it because at the end of every workout, I felt like I was moving away from my old identity and moving towards something greater. And there's even times I, I ran to the bathroom to throw up because I was working out so hard. But I still loved it. And eventually, you know, after a few months, I saw changes in my body. I remember looking in the mirror for, I saw like a little bit of a taper in my waist. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I was staring at myself for 20 minutes and I just got, became addicted. I loved it. I loved seeing the progress and I realized that was a big lesson for me was you put in consistent effort, hard ass work in the right direction. And over time yeah. you see results, even if it isn't crazy results, it's still results. But you get that dopamine going and you, you become hooked. So that's something I've applied to all areas of my life. But yeah, I um, eventually got jacked. I still felt anxious inside, you know, socially anxious. Felt like I was going to be found out at any moment. And mm. even if I was known as the jack kid in high school, I was on the football team, I was popular, but I, I just still didn't feel like that, that guy. I still had that narrative playing in my head from all those years as a kid. You, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. Yeah. You're, you're this, you're that, you're a loser. And it took a lot of work to overcome the mental side. Like the physical, physical side's fairly straightforward. Mental side, how do you even approach that? So I read a lot of self-help books. I, I put myself in uncomfortable situations. You know, I really like, took those baby steps to try to get out of that, that, that social zone. So I would start small talk with cashiers. I would try to talk to strangers, you know, try to get girls' numbers, <laughs> randomly approach them, all that. And I stacked these wins where I was able to look like, oh, okay, you know, you, you've done these experiences and, you know, you are someone that's confident. I started changing the narrative. I started flipping the script on, on the narrative saying I was anxious. So yeah. I would kind of look at it like, is that true? 
I was like, no, okay, well, I've done X, Y, and Z in the past. Would a socially anxious person do that? No. So it was, it was kind of separating the feeling from my identity, which was huge. And uh, yeah, so like, I say around the age of 22, I kind of got over that and really started to find my stride to play confidence. And, you mm. know, that was kind of around the age I was, I found Twitter and, you know, the whole money Twitter scene and all of that. But uh, that's kind of like the personal journey I went through. And there's a ton more, but I don't want to ramble forever. Mm -hmm. Thank you for, you know, thank you for your vulnerability and for your authenticity and opening up in, in, in this way. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that growing up in, in such a traumatic way where you've had drugs and abuse around you um, at home and in school and noticing that you weren't really happy with how you were looking physically and you got made fun of. And I definitely resonate with that in, in many ways. And that leading you to sort of becoming obsessed with developing that physique, that fitness, that strength. Now, what did it do for you in terms of business? Mm. How did that then lead into, you know, you started talking about money, Twitter, and you know, obviously you are a writer. And I'm curious what that that sense of trauma propelled you to do in business. Yeah, I kind of put a chip on my shoulder. I, I, I like it. I, it's kind of weird, but I really like that people made fun of me. I like that people doubted me. I like that mm. I had something to prove because I felt like it gave me that edge. You know, in the yeah. gym, I use people's negativity. Because like, that's, that's what it kind of is. It's energy, right? So. I use that. It's like you can be a victim or you can just use that as fuel and get get your ass to work. So the big thing with working out was I just developed this mindset. You do something in the right direction long enough and you see results. And it was the same thing with business. You know, it's like, okay, you know, if I just do the right things that, you know, smart people tell me to do, and I do it over a long enough time horizon, I'm going to see results. I think that the that's something I noticed too. Like the people that didn't see results in the gym, the one they were the ones that weren't consistent. You know, they would do it for a week, two weeks. You know, the New Year's resolutioners, and then they would quit. I've been working out for like 13 years now consistently. So you know, just seeing the comp the compound effect at play in that, and then I was like, oh okay, you know, it's probably the same thing for business. Sure enough, it was. So yeah, it's uh. Yeah, there's so many parallels. You know, same with like placing stress on yourself in the gym. You have to continuously place stress on yourself. And sure, it hurts at the moment, but you recover, you repair, and you build back stronger. You know, I think it's the same with skill development or learning new concepts. So there's multiple layers to the to the parallels of, you know, business and the gym that I've translated. But uh yeah. Mm. yeah. Tell me so is there a dark side to that to using sort of this as you described this 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 pain that comes from other people you know talking shit about you or you know making fun of you or using sort of this pain in, in business the, the stress that you're talking about and using that as fuel to drive you forward is there a dark side to that that you've noticed 100%. That's something I've been really focusing on the past year or so. 
I I started going to a therapist in November of last year. Mm. Not because of like any event or anything like really anything, but I was like, okay, you know, I got money now and I can afford it and I think it's good to talk about stuff because you know, I've been through some shit. So yeah, that's something I was working on. I was I was talking to my my therapist about you know different stuff that came up you know just talking about childhood and just kind of realizing how that that affects certain things and as well you know ayahuasca that was amazing i felt like i went to therapy for i think seven months before i did ayahuasca and i felt that like that really teed me up quite well Mm. for that trip um but yeah like it, it can i think people can really get lost with trying to prove themselves and trying to be better and, you know, make more money because they just felt like they didn't have that growing up or they feel like they got something to prove. I think there's a kind of a fine balance. I think there's, don't let it consume you, but I think use it as a tool. And there's, there's definitely times where I I let it consume me. So, I mean, I use sex as validation because I never got like attention from women and middle school so you know when i finally got interest from women it's like oh okay yeah and i kind of went too far in that direction you know like on tinder and you know to like relating my self-worth to my body count and then same with business you know you're like oh more clients more clients more clients and more money but then you're miserable because you're working all the time and you're like well the whole reason of getting into entrepreneurship is kind of living life on my terms so you're right. just kind of developing the self-awareness when you're going too far in a direction. Um, and that's something I've I've gotten a lot better at. But uh, yeah, ther- therapy was a big thing for me. And then the ayahuasca was huge for me. The ayahuasca was like 10 years of therapy in six days. It's absolutely yeah. nuts. Yeah. I, w- I want to talk about ayahuasca in a moment. And you know, to your point, it's something that I've experienced exactly to the point, exactly the same thing with this whole notion of proving myself. And for me, it was also something that happened when I was younger and I felt exactly this sense of shame, this sense of embarrassment very strongly. And it created this persona of, I have to prove myself. I will show you literally from an event that happened to me. I remember it was branded into my brain this i will show you i will prove you wrong that i am not the failure that i'm not the person that you think i am and it created a lot of success for me in every way of life you know with women with money with just uh, success in general achieving goals uh, sports and what i found is that the dark side to that was it was never enough Nothing was ever enough. I would just shift to the next thing, into the next thing, into the next thing. And all this time, what was missing for me was a sense of freedom, was a sense of peace, because I believe that freedom came from my achievements, hitting the financial goals, getting the girl, you know, becoming strong and fit in my body. And whenever I achieved that, it didn't, it didn't come or it didn't last. It was just this short-lived moment in time, but it wasn't an extended sensation that I was able to access. And it wasn't until, and that's why I want to talk about psychedelics and ayahuasca now, it wasn't until I tapped into the world of the, 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 the wisdom of the plants that I had got a glimpse of that there's another way, there's a different way. And so I want to hear about ayahuasca. You know, where did you go? What happened? What was the experience like for you? Like, take us through from the from the beginning, because I 
I've done a lot of ceremonies, and people know this about me, but I want to hear from someone else's perspective. What did you think when you first got there, and then when you first got out of it? Yeah, so I didn't know what to expect going into it. So I mm. I I heard of ayahuasca for I don't know how, but you know it was been in the back of my head for years. I'm like, oh, I'll do it one day, one day. So when I moved to Panama and I had my two roommates, you know, I was like, oh, it's perfect. You know, I got the money, I, I got the freedom. You know, I got two people to do it with. So I was like, I want to do. I was just. I remember I was sitting on the couch one day. I was like, I want to do ayahuasca. Like, let's do ayahuasca <laughs> randomly. So I hit up my my base spiritual friend. And she made a recommendation of where to go. And I recommended Holos, um, in Costa Rica, because Peru was going through a civil war. I don't know if it still is, but at the time, and so I contact the the lady running the next event. It was like a month from then. And we get on a call with her. I could tell she's absolutely fucking nuts. Like, she's crazy. I love it. Like, a good crazy, you know? Like, good energy. <laughs> like, yeah! Like, that, that kind of stuff. Her name was Lauren Taus, and she's a, a psychedelic kind of... She's a psychologist, but she's in the psychedelic realm. Mm. So she was running it and had a call with her. She's all good. So three of us go down to Costa Rica a month later. Oh, by the way, there's the dieta we had to follow. So, you know, no... Like no red meat, no protein powder, no sex, no caffeine, all that stuff. So my one friend followed it to like a T. My other friend kind of did. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I cut out caffeine. I said, screw it. I'm like, screw it. I, I was kind of making fun. I was like, yeah, fuck ayahuasca. I think mother ayahuasca, fuck off. Like I was just being really, like stupid, just joking around, of course. But uh, so I didn't know what to expect going into it. I was, I was very curious. So get down there to costa rica and yeah we drive up to the the retreat it's absolutely gorgeous it was, was kind of like glamping we we paid a good amount for this but uh it was it was crazy it was actually picturesque it was something like out of a disney movie disney disney movie with the views mm -hmm. but um yeah so there's 12 people i think 12 participants you know it was mainly you know, women in their 40s uh, there's i think two other guys uh, but i was the youngest one there i was 25 my roommate's 29 so everyone's just way older but yeah we get there and the first ceremony so it was a six-day seven-day retreat first ceremony was the day the second day and, you know, you're, you're kind of working it up in your head. You're like, oh, I don't know what to expect. Like, what's going to go on? I'm going to trip balls. Because I've done mushrooms uh, many times before. And there's a few times where we're the best trips. But they're still profound. But, yeah, so we get in this big dome outside. It's this big, like, just overarching dome. And, yeah, it's like 6 p.m. starting to get dark out. And there's mats in a whole circle all around the dome just spread out. And ceremony starts, so she calls the shaman, calls her name, and we all go up to grab our ayahuasca, and we go back to our little bed matting. No, you're not allowed to talk to people next to you. And we all just like you know take a shot, go put it down, go back to our our bed mats. And I'm just sitting there, and we're just letting time pass. So we gotta sit there for like half an hour in silence in the dark. 45 minutes, whatever it was. So I'm just sitting there on the first night 
I'm just waiting for it to kick in. And then we're like 15 minutes in, and I look over to my right, and there's my roommate, Talon. And he's just got the bucket. He's just holding the bucket in front of him. Like, oh, shit, he's going to throw up. Damn, already. I'm not really feeling anything right now. He's holding it. And then he starts twirling the bucket, kind of like playing with it. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Okay. It was clearly empty. Yeah, it was, it was empty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was going to throw up. But I was like, okay, whatever. And then he puts the bucket, he holds the bucket like this. And he slowly puts it on his head. And he just he just sits there. And I'm like, am I tripping balls right now? Like, I'm, I'm laughing. Like, this guy's an idiot. Like, what, is he feeling, feeling it right now? And I'm just laughing to myself. He's just sitting there for like five minutes with a fucking bucket on his head. Apparently, Mother Ayahuasca was telling him, like, get in the bucket. And he didn't know how, so that's why he put it on. But I didn't feel anything at the time, so I was just like, okay. Uh, <laughs> he eventually took the bucket off, but yeah, then the then the band started playing. Absolutely amazing, amazing band. Shout out to Cosmic Surfer Dave. But uh, yeah, and the music started playing. You know, that's what my trip kind of started, and I didn't experience much visual stuff. There was times where I experienced a lot of visual stuff, but it was it was interesting. It was mainly feeling. It was just like I just felt the sensation. And in my mind, it was it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And for the first night, like the big kind of theme was going back to the childhood and healing a lot of a lot of that trauma. And I didn't like one thing that came up with uh, with the therapy I went to was, you know, my therapist told me, yeah, you got to go in and and feel what it was like as a child you know kind of heal that part of you and i was like how do you even do that you know i was trying to do it logically okay give me the steps like how do i do it he's like you know you just got to do it what no give me the steps like i don't know how to just do that right and so i couldn't figure that out but when i was on ayahuasca especially that first night i felt it like it was crazy and i didn't try to it was just naturally Mm -hmm. you know i just felt all those emotions rush back as a kid like i felt the helplessness, you know, feeling lonely, uh, just not like feeling scared, like feeling like I needed that, that leader, that strong role model in my life that I didn't have, that I wanted so fucking bad. And I just felt that as a kid and I cried a ton, but it felt so good to cry because I was actually feeling, it wasn't like tears of sadness. It was just like kind of validation, you know, you're, you're actually feeling and I didn't realize how many emotions I had suppressed. That was actually crazy for me that, to feel that. Mm-hmm. And I even felt myself go inside my mind. And it, I was, I approached that younger ver- version of me, that kid. And I kind of talked to him. I'm like, hey, man, it's okay. I got it from here. And I was my own role model. I had to step in as that that masculine role that leader and it just kind of felt like it came full circle and it was it was super empowering it, it felt good to actually feel that because I, I you know that's years of suppressing feelings and and uh just that emotional trauma of all that shit i went through uh so it was it felt really healing that first night and 
it was a lot of that and a, a lot of it was you know just kind of coming coming full circle and feeling like a you know starting to become a man and 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 realize you know i i am a leader you know i i never felt like that growing up i always felt like i was in the back seat you know i was always following the lead of other people you know my brother like oh he's the extroverted one i'm just you know i'm just the guy that stands back and just follows his lead but i just realized mm-hmm. uh i realized that and then as well you know a deep empathy for myself but also a deep empathy for those around me so i realized i wasn't showing up as i could be for people in my life especially my brother my brother he's been ever since my mom passed away he's been very he's been like the glue for the family he's been very you know, like, oh family dinners and like you know, how are you doing like checking in and all that and i've been very you know retracted you know to myself and um just closed off and i realized you know my brother's going through a lot of stuff right now and you know he, he may be the older brother but realizing you know, you got to stop looking at it as though he's the older brother. You just look at it as your brother's. Because when I saw him as my older brother, I'm like, oh, he's taking the lead. He's fine. He's got it all handled. But it's like, no, like, we're brothers. I should be asking, hey, how are you doing, man? Are you doing good? Like, is there any, you want to talk about anything? Mm-hmm. And just realizing, I just felt really bad for, you know, just not being there for him emotionally and, and as much as I could. So... Yeah. That was huge for me. I was crying a lot about that, and um, you know, other people in my life, like my my mom's boyfriend growing up, and um, my two little sisters, and you know, friends. Uh, so that was huge. But uh, yeah, and then uh, the day after, we had an integration circle. You know, everyone was talking about their journeys. My friends, my friends were just getting. They're going through some shit. Like they, they were getting going through the ringer. I had a great time, but they, they were going through some like demonic shit or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but also hearing about the women in the group and hearing how vulnerable they were and how much how how open they were with everybody sharing what they were going through is very touching. It was it was amazing to see that humanity. It was so raw. You know, when everyone was talking about their journey, even me, I went into a lot of stuff and just showing that vulnerability, which can be scary, especially for men, but it just felt good. You know, I was just like laying it out and, uh, I felt like that was as healing as the ayahuasca journey. You know, it was, it was really good. And yeah, the, I did the ceremony the, the day after as well. Then we had a break and then another ceremony the day after that. But, uh, those other ones, they were, they were very powerful as well. Um, it was kind of like stepping into the role of a leader even more. So yeah. the phrase lead with your heart came up a lot. And what that means is, you know, don't be afraid to be vulnerable because, you know, a lot of men today, the, the macho man, you know, you, if you're not perfect, you're, you're a loser, yeah. whatever the narrative is. Yeah. And it's just a lot of bullshit. You know, I think it's okay to say, Hey, you know, I don't got it all figured out. Or like I, I I went through this. I've struggled with this. Not being a victim about it, being a little pussy, but saying, "Hey, you know, it's okay to go through this," and, it, and yeah. being just open with that. And what that does is gives people permission. Like, oh, dude, yeah, like me too. You know, because everyone's on edge. They want to appear these like macho masculine figures. But when you go first and you actually you know, lead with your heart, you're vulnerable. You 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 open that discussion up. You make people feel heard and seen, and it's very powerful. Yeah. 
again, not being the victim, like, you know, not taking, taking the struggles and just using that as an excuse, but actually like, no, I'm going through this and this is what I'm doing to overcome that. And, you know, you can do it too, but yeah, those are, those are some of the big things that came up. And then, uh, I called my brother and I called some friends and people in my life after, and I, I told him, you know, what, what I went through and I told him how. I was sorry. I apologized, and you know I love them because that's that's the that's the hard part is the integration, right? You can have all these you know, experiences and visions or whatever, but if you don't act on them, then it's absolutely useless. So I made sure to you know actually talk to those people and yeah, just show up. And it was I'm super glad I did. My brother he cried, and I and I told him about everything, and he was very appreciative of that. Yeah, it was a, a great experience. Mm, beautiful. Oh, I love it. I feel touched by that because I resonate and relate so much because I've gone exactly through that as well. I see we have a lot of things in common. Mm -hmm. And I love this notion that you're bringing forward of leading with your heart and also redefining masculinity of what it means to be a man and speaking into this perspective of leading with your heart doesn't mean that you're weak and you're you're playing the victim to your emotions no it means you're being real you're acknowledging that hey i have a lot of doubt or anxiety or struggle i'm not making a lot of money or whatever you have right now and say you know what and i own that and i think it's the ownership that comes with that because as men, so often we do not want to take ownership over our emotions, over the way we feel, which is what you described, right? You said you realized how much you've been suppressing. And I do this every week when I work with men, primarily with men, and I see this all the time. I see it, you know, in the way that your your body is, you know, that you're you're not expressed. You're very like your your tone of voice is very monotone. Uh, you know, you're often men that struggle with procrastination or lack of focus. I can always bring it back to this. It's always this. There's something that I'm sitting on that I don't want to express because I'm afraid that if I bring it out there, people are going to judge me, and then they would be right. And I'm wondering, were you able to connect after you've now done more of this inner work? Sort of connect. What happens in your day-to-day -day when you're dealing with frustration, lack of ability to focus, self-doubt, all these things, when that shows up, can you pinpoint it to sort of emotionally what's going on inside of you? I, yeah, I feel like I'm a lot more present. I definitely got a lot more work to do with that because I can get caught up with, you know, just, oh, just get kind of frustrated with myself or oh you know i gotta switch tasks and like go to this to that to that and uh that's something I, i've i've worked on quite a bit with my performance coach leon castillo um but yeah like, i think what really helped was getting clear on where i'm going and what i want to do and also my identity because you know if you shift your self-perception then your habits and your actions mm. are going to follow that um, and then if you have a clear path to where you're going, like I think a lot of people, they don't know what they're, where they're going. Right. So it's kind of like you're trying to get to a destination without a map, but when you have this vision right. for yourself and what you want out of life, then it's a lot easier. Okay. I got to take this action and you know, I, I sh should be doing this and that. 
And okay, if I'm not doing that, well, that's a kind of measurement of that you're off task. So that's that's been very useful in that sense. But yeah, I think something I'm still working on and realizing, oh, there, what's the emotion behind this? Why am I, you know, doing this bad habit? What's there's this is just a symptom of something larger. Right. I definitely can work right. on. Right. Would you recommend to an entrepreneur to do psychedelics? Would you say that it's something for everybody to give it a try to explore? Yeah, I think uh, I think make sure, of course, that you're doing okay. Like the if you have a mental illness or whatever you want to call it, um, maybe consult a doctor or professional. But honestly, yeah, I I recommend psychedelics to pretty much everybody because one and one way the shaman put it that i really liked is uh we're all fish swimming in toxic waters so we're you know we're <laughs> trying to diag diagnose the fish but it's the fucking waters that are messed up man like you look at society yeah. it's kind of crazy what's what's being promoted and all this all this shit so i find psychedelics are a good way to snap out of it and realize whoa that it's kind of weird that we do that, you know, like, why, why is that a thing? You're looking at your life, you know, why do I do that? Why am I harming my body that way? Why do I mm. continue to consume this shit food? Why do I continue to do X, Y, and Z? So I, I really like psychedelics because it, you're an yeah. observer, observer of your life yeah. and society and all of that. You yeah. just come back as a changed person. Yeah. And there are times where, you know, you might go through some bad trips. But I think those are necessary. I think you get what you need when you do psychedelics. I remember I took, when I was 16, I took four grams of mushrooms, five grams of mushrooms. Heroic <laughs> dose. Oh, dude, it was crazy. So my brother, he went full potato. He was just like repeating the <laughs> same words, like on a loop and shit. And I thought he should have pants. He told me he should have pants at one point. I thought I was going to have to clean that up. I didn't, thankfully. <laughs> but basically, I I got I got tripped out from that. So I went to uh, back to my girlfriend's. I'm like, I'm not dealing with this. Like, I let his uh, girlfriend deal with him. But then I started questioning, like, okay, he screwed up. Am I screwed up? And I, I remember looking in the mirror. I, I was like, oh my god, I'm old. And I thought I. <laughs> I I thought I, I thought I lived my entire life, and I was at an old folks' home, and I had Alzheimer's. <laughs> Scariest moment of my life. And <laughs> this one was sixteen, bro. And, and so I'm on the bed, and <laughs> I think I'm in this this is hospital bed, and I'm on death's waiting room, and I'm 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 legit like peak anxiety. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I'm like, I'm next to die, and it just peaked. And I don't know how. I was like, okay, I can't change it. I just accepted it. I embraced death. It was like ego death, legit ego death. And I remember it just everything melted away once I accepted it. I was just like, oh, okay, I accept it. You know, I'm going to die. And after that, you know, it was just kind of like a soft landing with the trip. And it went away. And it, I, I was realizing I don't have Alzheimer's. I haven't lived my entire life. I'm 16. This is great. And I just had a whole new appreciation for life. You know, like, that's what that could have been a reality for sure, but it wasn't. And you know, I just really, really appreciated life, and I didn't really fear death after that. You know, I was just like, okay, you know, it's gonna happen, but I just gotta accept it when it does. And it was, it was one of the most profound experiences of my life, and it was 
all because I did way too much mushrooms and had a bad trip, but it was it ended up great. So yeah. So if you're going through a bad trip, just remember, you know, it might be a good lesson. The the power of surrender, right? You yeah. talk about acceptance. And this is what I see so much with with entrepreneurs and high performers that are going through the motions. And there is, and that's why I asked you earlier if you noticed that, what what I've seen is that when you're when you're in this funk of you don't really know what to do, you you start procrastinating, you struggle to focus, you have this mind fog, and then you get that sense of anxiety and you're just frenetically doing things to stay busy. When you can actually accept that underneath there, there is an emotion, you don't even have to know exactly what it is, but you just have to surrender into it, which is you allow yourself to feel whatever there is. You start to, sh to to shrink time. The time that it normally takes to neutralize that emotion might be a day, might be a week, might be a month, depending on what it is. But if you can allow yourself to feel it fully, that's why breath work, for instance, is so powerful. And psychedelics, the way that it's a, why the reason why it's so powerful, what I've come to understand is that it bypasses the analytical mind. The one that goes, hmm, is this right right now? Should I feel this way? Is this a waste of time? Is this convenient at this moment? And it just takes you right into that. And when you accept it and you surrender, you go through all of the motions of it and you come out way quicker at the, on the other side with a bunch of wisdom that you can take with yourself. So I love that you talk about that uh, notion of acceptance. And, you know, I want to ask you one more question. Then I want to ask you a couple of questions about your business. Um, You talked about the shaman that said it's not the problem that the, the fish is not the problem. It's the water. Right? It's the environment. And he talked about certain trends in society that we're seeing today. And I certainly am there right there with you. And I'm curious, what would you say are some of the biggest things that you're seeing that a lot of entrepreneurs are falling into, not realizing that that's actually harming them in a big way? Mm hmm. Well, I think one is porn. Like, I think a lot of people struggle mm. with that. I mean, you know, I think it's normalized in school and it's normalized in society. You know, porn is healthy, all of that stuff. I mean, you're literally watching pixels on a screen and, you know, <laughs> jerking it to it. And mm -hmm. you're you're frying your dopamine. Like, people are, you know, you're just getting the stimulus and reward and it's, it's killing your motivation, your drive. Maybe yeah. you're still driven, but, you know, it could be so much more. If, you just cut that out i think that's a, a really big one i think it's a big problem um another one is you know working too much i think i think it's uh there's a there's a fine balance i think hustle culture is like you know neglect sleep and do x y and z and all that i think we're kind of getting out of that that phase i think the narrative switching but there's a lot of people yeah. that's still like yo i gotta work for 16 hours 18 hours a day or whatever and just neglect sleep and you know if you neglect your health it's it's going to take a toll in every aspect of your life you know your mental health your relationships and you know your overall work performance so you, know, yeah. you might feel like oh you know i don't got time for the gym or xyz <laughs> no i i, I got to work and, you know like that hour at the gym is going to compound and it's going to leak into every other aspect of your work performance you know just boost everything so yeah um, neglecting your health um, and I don't know if this is well. This definitely is an exclusive to entrepreneurs and all that, but like chasing validation 
and this could be in social media, you know, or it could be sex or whatever, but you know, looking for that external, that external object or person to bring you happiness. And one, one book that I would recommend is Awareness by Anthony DeMello. That was a really eye-opener. Oh, great eye book. From, yeah, man. Just seeing how relationships work in your life and how you play a part in that. And that was an amazing book. So I, I would recommend that. But uh, yeah, those are a few that come to mind. Mm, I'm right there with you. And I can attest, especially the, the porn habit, when I let go of that game changer. Mm. And primarily in my relationship and really took my relationship with my now wife to a whole nother level. And I, I have come to realize that having a partnership or relationship with another uh, person is probably the biggest cheat code that you can have because the amount of safety structure, um, uh, connection and power that you gain from that, you can redirect into any area of your life. And so I really appreciate you talking about that. And, you know, it's a perfect bridge because you talk about validation being one of those things. Naturally, validation is also a part of your business because you help other people become a lot more uh, seen and respected on social media. So I want to talk about your business. Um, you do copywriting, you do ghostwriting. From what I understand, you have trained other people to become ghostwriters, and now you sort of position them with businesses. Explain to us, how does the process work that you offer, and why is it so important to have it as a business owner? Yeah, so basic process, I. I go through with my program is, you know, first, first month where it's all about social media growth and learning how to brand yourself and, you know, how to write, how to actually go about navigating social media, what's the strategy, and then what's the tactics of it, how do we grow, and how to do it in a way where it's authentic to you, but it also sets you up where you can monetize down the line. So we go over that intensive for the first month. Second month is uh, we go over the the business side of stuff. So, you know, the marketing, the sales, you know, landing pages, all that stuff. And so we stack it on top of the audience building aspect. So the way I see it, I think the future of entrepreneurship, or I think the ones that are going to have the most leverage is going to be the people that have the foundation of audience building, and then they stack skills on top of that. So we go over audience building, we stack on sales, marketing, writing, copywriting, all that stuff. And we go over that intensive in the second third month and then the following months are just execution like we're just like hitting it hard i mean i got guest master classes from other experts just to kind of you know go hard in you know different different ways but uh yeah it's just consistency at that point and show people you know if you want to monetize your social media we can do that and help you with that but if you want to go all in with ghostwriting you know writing for other people and growing their account you can do that as well but uh yeah it's basically how to grow and monetize your social media mm. so i've i've heard a lot about content writing i've seen that in action i understand the value of it what does your personal process look like when you write posts for yourself i, I follow you on twitter i appreciate your posts that you're writing you know what, what does that look like for you yeah so I, I basically i break down the categories into three buckets so I call it the GAP framework, so G-A-P. So the G stands for growth content. 
And that's when you leverage trends or well-known figures and you tie it back to your brand. So, you know, if I'm a writer and ChatGPT is popping off at the time. I'm like, okay, I can look at that. I'm like, okay, that's a trending topic. That's top of mind for a lot of people. How can I tie my brand to that? You know, like how to incorporate it with writing. Or if I was a fitness coach, okay, how can I incorporate ChatGPT with my brand? Okay, how to create a fitness or nutrition plan in under 30 seconds with ChatGPT. I'd make that my content around that. What that's going to do is it's going to rank higher in the algorithm because it's trending. And then when people mm-hmm. see it, they're going to they're gonna have more interest in it. And when they click on the content, they're going to see, oh, you know, who's Dakota? Like, this guy is kind of interesting. I'm interested in X, Y, and Z. They're going to follow you. So that's uh, the growth side. And then you can also take popular figures. So maybe like Andrew Tate or Trump or, you know, whoever's top of mind at the time and tie your content to that, you know, breaking down, you know, Andrew Tate's top five workout routines or whatever, right? Or how Andrew Tate markets his business and, you know, do a breakdown of content. So that's the growth side. And then the authority side is, you know, the how-tos or how I did X, Y, Z, how I uh, went from, you know, poor, broke dude to making 10K a month. Um, Stuff that shows your competence in your domain, your skill, and shows, hey, you know, I'm the guy to go to when it comes to X, Y, or Z. So that's the authority side of stuff. And then the personal side, personal content, that's when you know you're sharing your worldviews, your opinions, your experiences, and just overall just actually connecting with your audience. Because I think a lot of people they focus on the how tos and the factual stuff, and that's all fine and dandy, but you're not building a connection with your audience. And I think the real, the real leverage, the real compounding happens when you have the that relationship with your audience, and they can connect and relate with you. So I kind of structure my content within those three buckets and, you know, take different formats. So um, it could be, you know, top five ways to do X, Y, Z, and that goes in the authority bucket. Or it could be how, how I, what, what I learned from ayahuasca that can go in the personal content or, you know, whatever. So I'm just kind of using all those. And what that does, it gets people to know you from the growth content gets them to like you from the personal content and gets them to trust you with the authority content and works all together has a synergistic effect and it compounds and you know, got massive leverage so um that's kind of how i approach things so i think it's simplifies it i love that i just took notes on all of these all of these all of these three and that definitely going to help me um what would you say is something that people get wrong when it comes to personal branding yeah i think they look at the big accounts and they try to emulate them but Mm. what what they're doing now they're playing a different game like you know dan co for example he talks about whatever he wants like philosophy and whatever people are trying to be like dan co well you didn't see what got him to his first thousand followers what got him to the first ten thousand fifty thousand so at each level, you're playing a different game. At the start, you know, you could tweet whatever Dan Coe's tweeting, and it's not going to get traction. The reason why stuff gets traction is because people know him, they like him, and they trust him. And because of that, you can tweet about whatever, and it's going to get engagement. At the right. start, you kind of got to prove your competence, competence and show that you know what you're talking about and actually show that you, know, you're, you are an authority. So... I recommend to people, this is my approach, there's multiple approaches, but 
I recommend you learn an actionable skill that there's market demand for that people want to learn. And you, you know, you learn from people ahead of you, you apply those experiences, apply those lessons, and then you talk about what you learn and you teach people behind you. And that'll just raise your authority. And over time, you know, you're, you're going to be seen as an authority, you know, you should be putting out personal content while you're doing that. So they connect with you. But I think people just don't, they want to be a life coach without having the experience of life. You know, the, the, it's kind of like the, mean, the 18 year old life coach, right? They, they want to do the mindset content all the time, but they haven't really worked on, you know, other areas outside of mindset. Like I think yeah. like you've actually built a business, you actually have credibility and you face challenges and that, that qualifies you to be a mindset coach. You don't come out the gate like, Oh, I'm 18. Right. I want to be a mindset coach, <laughs> like, right? So I think uh, I think you got to learn an actual skill and, and teach people. I think that's something a lot of people want to skip. That's the hard part. Mm. I love that, and I'm I'm there with you. And I think you know, especially to the point that you just made, that's the hard part. Is we live in this world where this world of illusion where social media tells you, you know, become, uh, become a six figure coach in three months, become a mindset coach, get certified as a mindset coach on with a Udemy course. <laughs> and, you know, people go, go through these courses and they put it up on their, on their Instagram and LinkedIn Twitter bio. And then they do put an NLP course on top of that. And they're now, they're, and I find, I don't know about you, but one of the first things that turns me off about people is when, when they have credited in their bio. I know for me personally, immediately that they're not good. Yeah. Because if they have accredited, if in their mind, the best result that they put in there that they use is, is being accredited to something, I'm out. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Like, who's accrediting this? Like, what like is there like some kind of wizard that announces okay yeah you're accredited <laughs> yeah i think accredited and qualified is really where the difference is and qualification in my opinion doesn't come through an accreditation but it comes through life experience yeah. having it done yourself and having the humility also that comes with that it's so important that your humility exceeds your ability because you don't want to work with people that know it, that they believe they know it all. I often, you know, I, I went to the Dr. Joe Dispenza retreat and uh, up until that point, I'd been meditating for almost 10 years straight. And so I came in with this, with this attitude of like, nah, I got this, you know, it's like, ah, what is he going to teach me? I mean, and then I got in there like day one, I was like, Oh shit! I don't know anything. <laughs> and I just sat there, like just taking notes, just taking notes. I was like, okay, I'm gonna forget everything that I thought I knew, and I'm just gonna open myself up. And it was incredible every time. And so, I want to also ask you, what's something that helps you do what you do to the best of your ability that most people would be surprised to hear? I would be surprised to hear. I, I mean, I've journaled a lot. I don't know if people would be surprised about that, but journaling has definitely helped me a shit ton. Like I've been doing it since I was 18 where I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have money for a therapist. So I just turned to pen and paper and I was absolutely miserable. And I, I didn't know what was going on, but I was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to write and see what happens. And that was huge for me. Just 
getting that reflecting and actually thinking, you know, without any other stimulus. And it oh. forced me to really, really focus on one thought. Because if you if you don't have pen and paper, you're bouncing, you can bounce around from thought to thought really easily. But when you're actually sitting down and you're writing, you're staring at a page, you have to continue the thought with pen and paper. So that's been huge for me. And that's something I'm, I'm getting back into. I haven't done it for the past past year but that was that was really crucial for me for developing self-awareness and getting clear where i'm going in life and mm. and just understanding myself on a deeper level and what's crazy is i wrote out like everything i wrote out came true like in that journal years ago you know i'm gonna have x in my bank account by a certain time you know, i'm gonna have you know, I'm going to be confident, you know, X, Y, Z. And there's something very powerful about intentions in intentionally writing it, writing it like you already have it in a journal. Yeah. I think it, uh, it really sets things in motions. Um, psychedelics too. I mean, like that's something I, I love and I find it, it's a good reset for me too. So I'm a pretty open book though. So I don't think anyone would be really surprised. Mm. by anything i do yeah well i certainly was very surprised when i read you know for those of you that don't know you and i were both part of a of a community called client ascension and then i i read about your ayahuasca upcoming ayahuasca trip and i was like what i was <laughs> like because because usually the client ascension guys they're not necessarily open to all this yeah, world yeah, of yeah. deeper emotions yet. Yeah, we're, we're working on it. Right? <laughs> we're working on it. So, so I was very surprised to hear that, and I'm, I, you know, throughout this whole conversation, I've been very surprised to hear how conscious you are and how mindful you are and how much you cultivate a greater sense of awareness, not because of you specifically, but more, more so because of the industry that you're in, right? Money, Twitter, and content writing, oftentimes is a rather unconscious field of people. So I really appreciate you and for your journey and for what you're sharing. And, you know, as we get to the end of the conversation, I want to know where does Dakota's journey go from here today? Where, where, what are some of the big goals and the big vision that you're aligning yourself with? Yeah, so this is something I'm always working on and figuring it out. But for right now, it's, you know, just scaling my program and really just going hard on content. I've started with YouTube recently and uh, I think just being consistent in the direction I've been going. I think a lot of people, they like go, I want to do this. And then they switch in something completely different. But I'm, I really enjoy teaching people and I really enjoy creating content. Mm. I love writing. And that's something I want to continue doing. And I want to see the compounding of that. It's kind of like a relationship, right? You know, I think the longer you're with somebody, I think the more time you have to compound and get to know each other and grow together. And uh, I feel like the same thing with my work. So just continuing to do that. And I'm, I'm learning a ton of skills right now and systems and marketing and sales and all that. And yeah. uh, just leveling up. I'm more of a creative than an entrepreneur. So I'm, I'm learning mm. all these entrepreneurial skills. And that's probably why, you know, I'm more like into this stuff than, than the other entrepreneurs. But uh, yeah, just continue to compound. And, you know, I would like to, um, I would like to find like a really based woman to, 
you know, just build with and and have that instead of just I've been single for like the past five years. <laughs> but it, it would be nice to find someone that's like on the same alignment, same values. So uh yeah, that's uh yeah, that's kinda where I'm I'm at in life. Mm, that sounds exciting. Um um shout out to all the ladies. Hey. Dakota Dakota is, 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 is in the market. Um you heard you you heard him, you know what you're getting yourself into. Uh I think I think he's a he's a wonderful human being, so definitely uh look out for that. One more question that I have for you, and that is if you could spend an hour of your time having lunch with any human being on earth, dead or alive, it can't be a fictional person, it has to be a real person. Who would it be and why? God, there's too many. Um, I think, uh, uh, I think Eli, it sounds so, it's cliche, but Elon Musk, man, that guy's so interesting. The, the way mm. his mind works and, and everything he's doing, I just think he's so interesting. So, what would you ask him? him? I, I, I would really go into simulation theory. I would ask him a lot of questions, like, because he thinks we live in a simulation, or he thinks it's more likely than not that we live in a simulation. I think it's so crazy to me. So I would, I would probably just go deep into that with him. Anybody else that came to mind? I'm curious. Yeah, yeah uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Um, they're they're hilarious. I think the writers of South Park are some of the best writers in the in the world. You know, because they they actually have a great sense of humor. They they also have a respect for story and how to structure a story. Something I I, I love because I I'm not super professional. I'm very you know impersonal. <laughs> like I like to ship post and memes and all that. But I also love stories and I love writing. So I think that that would be fascinating. Um, Andrew Tate. I, I I like Andrew Tate. I think he's got some interesting takes that i don't agree with but mm. he's got a lot of a lot of great ones that i do agree with so he would be a, a good one and uh yeah i i think those 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 figures would be cool great beautiful well if you're if anybody of you is connected to any of those people let's make <laughs> it happen let's get you that lunch uh yeah. dakota What's the best way for someone who wants to know more about you and what you offer uh, to connect? Yeah, I got my hub, dakotarobertson.net. .com was taken by another Canadian social media marketer. So F you, whoever did that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, dakotarobertson.net. Um, and Twitter is like my main hub. So at wrongs to write, W-R-I-T-E. But uh, yeah, those are the main, main places. Beautiful. I will be sure to add both of these into the show notes. Dakota, you have been an amazing guest. Thank you for being on the show. And I feel this wasn't the last conversation. Hell no. Yeah. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. It was a really fun, unique podcast too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and thank you for making this all possible and for being a loyal listener of the Zenpreneur podcast. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Peace out.